you've solved it. What is a Christian? I guess uh, it really depends who you ask. Uh, I don't know if it's something you've wondered about. Uh, maybe you consider yourself to be a Christian already, and so I hope you've got an answer to what is a Christian, because you'd say, well, that's me, but what makes me a Christian? Or anyway, uh, I think most people have an opinion on what one is, whether they like it or not. Uh, uh, it may be one of those things that you're wondering about, though. You know, what is it that makes those people over there different? Uh, you know, well, these people that say that they're Christians but they don't appear to be them, uh, how does it all work? I think if we surveyed the community, we'd come back with a bunch of different answers as to what a Christian is or what makes someone a Christian as opposed to not a Christian. Uh, some would say, well, a Christian is someone who's really, really nice and helps old ladies across the street, sort of a moral person and say, so, oh, yes, they're very Christian, aren't they? You can see what they do in life and things. Uh, and so it's about their activities and how nice they are. Uh, others would come back and say, well, no, a Christian is, is obviously someone that goes to church. I mean, that's what church is for, for the Christians, right? And so if you're there, you're a Christian. If you don't go, well, you're not. Uh, others uh, would say, uh, if they're from uh, overseas, from the Middle East or you know, Asia or something, they might say that a Christian is anyone that's a Westerner. Okay, and so if you grew up in America or England or Australia, you're a Christian because they're the Christian nations, just like if you grew up here in uh, uh, China or an atheist or grew up in wherever it is, you might consider yourself a Buddhist just because you're there and you're part of the nation and it's a cultural thing. You're born as one or not. Some people on the other hand would think a Christian is anyone who's a wowser, who's just down on everyone else having fun. There's all sorts of opinions on, on what a Christian is. But today we're looking at what God thinks a Christian is. I mean, he's the one whose uh, opinion matters anyway, and so it'd be good to work out what he thinks a Christian is so we can work out if we are one or not, if we're one of his people. And uh, he speaks through the Bible, his word, and I want to take us to that part of the Bible that we just heard in the first half of Colossians chapter 1. It's a letter written by one of the greatest and most famous Christians, a man by the name of Paul, who once hated Christians and Christianity and tried to kill the Christians and get rid of it as a movement from the world. But then one day he became a Christian himself. And in this letter he writes to a, a, a group of people who he's heard about, who he's not met personally, who have become Christians. And he writes to encourage them as they set out on this new thing that they've become. And it's a letter really that gets back to basics. It's a primer on what it is to be a Christian. What is it a Christian believes? What is it a Christian does? What, what is being Christian about? And he begins the letter by reminding them what it is that makes them Christian in the first place, or more than that, what it is that makes anyone a Christian. There are certain fundamental characteristics that mean that someone is a Christian or they're not. And I don't know if you've sat down to write a list of what would make someone a Christian or not, uh, what you would come up with or whether if you did try and work it out whether you'd come up with the same list of things and it might be interested for you if you consider yourself a Christian I know a few people at 8 o'clock did this I was sitting there with the checklist going tick, tick, cross you can test yourself on the way through but here's the list It's I wouldn't say this is exhaustive it's not everything that the Bible's got to say we're just looking at this one little section but three things that Paul says a Christian is. It's someone who knows something. It's someone who has new priorities in life. 
And it's someone who God has done something to. There you go. They might sound strange to you, and I don't know, but we're going to just whip through and take a look at each of those things in turn. What What is it that a Christian knows? What are the new priorities? And, and what is it God did to them? Well, so first of all, a Christian is someone who knows something. You see it there in verse 4. I don't know if you follow along, you're very welcome to. Uh, Paul says to this group in Colossae, which happens to be in Turkey, by the way, right near where uh, Gallipoli was fought. Anyway. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. The thing that they know, the thing that they have heard about is something that he calls the gospel. It's a piece of information. It's a piece of news. Now, the word gospel uh, literally means something like a grand announcement. It's a proclamation. Uh, some people translate it as good news, which is, which is okay, but it's not strictly true because it's a particular piece of news. It's the news that a king has triumphed that he has won the battle and he is now your ruler. Uh, this king has come to power and he intends to wield that power. And so it's really, really good news if you want to be on the king's side. It's not really good news if you want to be on the other side. But the gospel which the Christian knows is much more than that there's a human king who's now in charge of some country or another. I mean, in the end, who really cares who the king of Ghana is? I know if you're from Ghana, that probably matters. And things, although I have, you know, I'll brag a bit, I've had dinner with the Prince of Ghana. There you go, at a friend's house in, uh, in the North Shore. Uh, although the way the system works, he was the king's son, but in his uh, people group, even though he's the king's son, he's still 20,000th in line to the throne. So <laughs> it really wasn't that impressive. <laughs> it was a very complicated system of how they work out who the next one in line is. But anyway, it's not important how they work it out. But even the question of whether Camilla will be the next queen you know, of Australia, you may be pro it, you may be anti it, but whether she is or she isn't, it doesn't really change anything. Uh, and even if it did, well, it'll only be temporary uh, because in 50 years' time, Charles, Camilla, the King of Ghana, will have died and somebody else will be on the throne. But the gospel, the announcement, the proclamation which the Christian knows is of much greater importance than any of that. See in verse 6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood, you understood this message, God's grace in all its truth. So he's saying this is of universal significance, uh, that people all over the world are affected by it, that it's not just about a human kingdom or this country or that country, that this king who has been announced, who has now taken power, is the king of the world, of the universe, and you find out in verse 13 that this king is the son of God. It is Jesus Christ. He is the king that this gospel is about. That is, the gospel is not culture-bound. It's not relevant only to some countries or to some national groups. This news is about God and his king, and it's about his relationship to people everywhere. And more specifically, it's about his kindness. It's his grace and love as the king, and he says here, it's true. 
It is true. You've heard this message in all its truth. Now, it's important to know the things are true before you commit to them, right? I mean, only a fool leaps in and trusts hearsay or speculation. It'd be a very stupid thing to do, wouldn't it? Especially when the claims are so significant. You know, the wise person investigates whether the information is true or not and makes an informed decision. And the Colossians did that. Now, where did they hear the gospel from, this announcement? Well, they learned it from the guy in the Australian travelling hat, <laughs> Epaphras. You learn it from Epaphras, we read. That is to say, the knowledge that a Christian has is not something mysterious, which you only get by meditating for three weeks in the desert, only eating chocos, um, or it's something that supernaturally pops into your head. The knowledge is information which can be passed on from person to person. Someone can explain it, other people can understand it. It's not mystical in that sense. Sometimes people think of faith as being this mystical experience or this weird substance that you have that I don't have. Everyone has faith. It's just the word trust. You trust the information. You trust that the chair that you're sitting on is going to hold you up. I mean, you, you didn't look at it and go, well, I have doubts about that. You wouldn't have sat down. Uh, everyone exercises faith. They, they trust information. So a Christian is someone who knows something. They have heard the news. They've understood this message and they believe it to be true. They know that there's a king in charge of the world and that somehow that is God's kindness. We're going to come back and tease that out. But it's important to see that God thinks that a Christian is someone who has particular information. You have to have this information to be a Christian. But it's not the only thing. Uh, a Christian is not just someone who knows something. It's someone who has new priorities in life and those priorities change the person's attitudes and behaviour. It's no good knowing something is true and important and then not doing anything about it. Imagine your anniversary is coming up. Now, maybe it's your second wedding anniversary, like the crickets uh, this year. Uh, maybe it's your 50th or more anniversary. Anyone up to there in this congregation? No. Where are the Goddards up to? 42 years this year, is it? That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Well done. Um, uh, maybe it's a really significant anniversary, like it's three months since your first date. Or maybe you know, for night church, a really significant anniversary, it's two hours since we first held hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to celebrate this significant occasion. Um, but there's a step missing. Kirsten's already gone. She's out the back anyway. So <laughs> uh, There's a step missing. Knowing that it's going to happen soon isn't enough. Knowing the time isn't sufficient. Knowing that it's special isn't enough. If you don't do anything for the day, it's useless. The knowledge is useless. And worse, you've just spoiled the next 50 years or the chance of ever holding your hand again. <laughs> what is it that the Christian is about? What's the shift in priorities that's going to affect the way a Christian thinks, the way a Christian acts, the way a Christian lives and, and speaks? Well, the shift in priorities now that they aim to please someone. Not a wife or a girlfriend, but they aim to please God. They want that. They, uh, he, Paul sees that these guys have changed. He's heard about their love, which is you know their love for other Christians, their love for God, and he prays for them that they'll keep growing and they'll, they'll keep changing and, and growing in this love and understanding. Have a look, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, 
We've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So keep growing in your knowledge. But we pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. See, a Christian is a person whose new aim in life is to please God and to live for him. And they don't do that ignorantly, guessing at what God wants and going, oh, you know, I imagine that God would want me to enjoy more ice cream. Ah, that'd be awesome, you know, that kind of thing, because my God would... No, that's not how you work it out. It's not mystical knowledge. No, we, uh, a Christian listens to God as he explains in his word. They find out how he wants them to live. And that's why Paul prays that they'll grow... Um, uh, that they'll know God's will better and better, that they'll have wisdom and understanding. They won't just guess and make up what they think God wants. They'll find it out and then they'll do it. Why? So that they can live a life worthy of God and please him in every way, bear fruit in every good work and go on and on doing it, persevere in it, push on, endure. They have a radically different attitude to before and that should result in a radically different lifestyle. And so it's a real shame, isn't it, when it's an embarrassment when we hear of Christians who are no different to anyone else in the way that they live and the way they act. When we hear of ministers committing adultery or you know, church treasurers skimming the church accounts, it's a scandal. And it should be a scandal. We might know someone who calls themselves a Christian but tells the same dirty jokes, sleeps around, is renowned for their lies or their pride, and we call it Hypocrisy. Why is it hypocrisy? Because a Christian is someone we know should be different, <laughs> whose aim in life is to live God's way and please him. Now I want to say that to those who are, who are Christians here, but being a Christian hasn't made much of a difference to your aims in life, to your goals, to your speech, to your relationships, to your life, then, then what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm not... I'm not talking about those who are trying to please God and failing because we all struggle with sin and, and temptation and evil, but to those who are part of church here who call themselves Christian but you're not really living to please God, if you're in that situation, I want to challenge you to live in accord with what you know. Live to please God in everything that you do. But all of that might leave us thinking that a Christian is just a goody two-shoes and that it is all about being more moral than everyone else and looking down on them. But that's not it at all. And that's because while a Christian is someone who knows something and while there's someone who lives to please God, there's a more fundamental reality to what a Christian is. And that is this. A Christian is someone who God has done something to. God has acted in their life. He has done something to them. Now that may sound very, very strange to you. But let me say, a Christian is someone who God has done something to. Let me show it to you in the passage here. Pick it up at verse uh, 12. And joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who is it that's doing all the activity? It's God. And what is it that God's doing? You see the key words there, the key ideas? 
Paul is writing to people who God has done something to. What's he done? He's qualified them. He's rescued them. He's brought them. He's redeemed them. He's forgiven them. He's qualified them. He's qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He's talking about heaven. And what he's saying is that people do not qualify themselves for heaven. They can't earn their way into heaven. Now that's clear from the fact that it's an inheritance. An inheritance is something that is owned, but it's not earned. See, you think about your own inheritance that you may one day inherit. You don't get it because you did anything. Your parents did something uh, one night and you are the result. (laughs) You did nothing and you are their son or their daughter and, and you have an inheritance just because of their action. You had no say in the matter. I, I don't think it's possible to ever have a say in your own matter. In, you know. And while they could disown you, you never qualify yourself to get the inheritance. In fact, the one thing that you can do to, make, to get the inheritance now is the one thing that will guarantee that you never get the inheritance. Bump them off. <laughs> you won't inherit then. It will be taken from you. <laughs> My sister and I are likely to inherit a three-bedroom fibro house in Loftus, built in the 1950s where we grew up. If you don't know Loftus, it's part of the Shire. Uh, (laughs) And yes, just so you know, the Shire, it is exactly like the Shire in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, It's it's leafy and green, it's tranquil, and when strangers come in, everything goes bad. And yes, yes, it is full of short, round, hairy people like me. <laughs> but the inheritance that the Christian has is far, far greater. It is an inheritance which is heaven. It will be theirs. And like our own inheritances, it's something that's owned, but it's not earned. In fact, God has to qualify someone to be a Christian. Now, how does God do that? Well, he does it, verse 13, by rescuing them. Rescuing them from one kingdom into another kingdom. Rescuing them from the dominion of darkness, he calls it, and bringing them into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's Jesus, his kingdom. You see, people don't start off in right relationship with God and then fall out. No, we start as subjects of darkness following the ways of the world, which has gone astray from God. See, we're all part, by nature, of a worldwide rebellion against God. We don't care that he made us. We don't live for him as his creatures rightly should. We don't thank him for everything that he gives us. And the way that shows itself varies from person to person. Uh, Some people pretend that God doesn't exist and they come up with all sorts of intellectual reasons why they will never accept that there's anything else other than this world. Some people shake their puny fists at God because of some perceived betrayal that God has done in their life and they tell God to rack off and they don't want any part of him. Other people, I think the vast majority of people, just go through life ignoring God and maybe that's you. Most Australians believe that God exists but he plays little or no part in their lives. And what ends up happening is that people live for things that aren't God. They make up false gods and false religions. They live for material things, for for the career or for family or for the bigger house, for the faster car, for the new experience, uh, to be the intellectual pinnacle or to be famous. Uh, And you know for you what that thing is. If, If 
you know, you thought about your life deep down. What is it the thing I'm living for? And God says that whatever you live for, first and foremost for, if it's not him, it's an idol. And he cannot tolerate idolatry. He's jealous with a godly and righteous jealousy. And people show by living for their idols that they are rebels and they're not part of his kingdom, that they're part of this kingdom of darkness, he calls it. They're trapped with no way to get themselves out. And what has happened for the Christian is that God has picked them up and he has rescued them from that. Now, how does he do that? Well, that's the last part of this section. He does it by redeeming them and forgiving them. In fact, that's why the gospel is good news, why it's about the kindness and mercy of God, which I mentioned before. See, to redeem something means to buy it back. Uh, when you're short of cash, I don't know if you've ever been short of cash, lots of people are going to be short of cash, you might uh, have some good stuff, like your favourite board game uh, here, and you think, I need money. Uh, where can I go and exchange this? I can go to Hasler's Emporium and, uh, and maybe they'll give me some money for this. Um, what can I get for this wonderful, exhilarating game? What will you give me for it, Bill? DVD. <laughs> DVD. I need some money. Have you got any cash? Uh, let's see what it'll come up with. Uh, Ten bucks? It's worth a thousand bucks. I've got to pay bills. Oh, I need it anyway, so uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, is that all? Uh, you take a risk and that's what you get. Uh, <laughs> anyway. um, but you might, yeah, you pay your bill with the money, but then you might make the money up sometime later and you go back to uh, Hasler's Emporium and say, I've got the money, I've got the money. And he says, now it costs 20 bucks. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and you redeem, you redeem your item, your favourite board game, if that was your favourite board game <laughs> kind of thing. You know, you redeem that dinky little scooter that your mother bought you when you were five uh, and then you look really stupid riding at home as an adult. Uh, <laughs> you, you buy it back. That's what redemption is. But God doesn't redeem people from the pawn shop. He redeems people from the dominion of darkness, from the pit of hell. And he pays himself to have them back. And the price that he pays is much more than $10. The price is very, very high. The price he paid was the life of his own dear son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to the cross to die, to take the punishment that you and I deserve, to bear the guilt and shame, to pay for what we do not deserve to buy us back. See, when there's a crime, somebody has to pay. We hope normally that it's the criminal, that they're caught and there's justice. And we cheer when the guilty verdict's handed down. But often the person who pays for the crime is the victim. But in the relationship between me and God, I am the criminal and he is the victim. And yet he gladly and willingly pays for my crime with his son's life on the cross. It's an astonishing thing that he, the one we have offended and rebelled against, should pay the cost himself to have me back. It's Anzac Day this weekend and the sacrifice that the Anzacs made 100 years ago and you know the other military since and before, it was incredible. Thousands of lives. Thousands die for us. 
you know, for some semblance of temporary freedom in this world. And we're glad for that. But the sacrifice of Jesus is even more incredible that he, the creator of the universe, should die for rebels who hate him and don't want him to have us back and to give us real freedom that will last forever in his kingdom. The Christian is the person who has taken up that opportunity and by it has received forgiveness for their rebellion, forgiveness for their ignoring God, forgiveness for their living for themselves, forgiveness for their sin. No one deserves it. It's a free gift from God which he gladly gives in order to qualify people, redeem people, forgive people. And so a Christian in the end is someone who knows that they are undeserving of God's kingdom, they're undeserving of anything good from him, who acknowledges that they're in the wrong and cannot do anything to fix the problem with God and yet who casts themselves on the mercy of God and gratefully receives forgiveness because they know that Jesus has died for them and they trust him now with their lives, both now and into eternity. So that's what a Christian is. Someone who knows the news about Jesus, that he's the king. They know that that's God's kindness. It's someone whose aim in life is now to please their king, live for him. But fundamentally, it is someone who God has qualified for heaven by the death of his son. Now, I don't know how you've gone ticking off that list (laughs) or not. Is that you? Uh, I guess there are many here who are Christians, uh, who've acknowledged their helplessness and thrown themselves on God's mercy. They're trusting that when he says their sin is dealt with, he means it that he's good for his promise and they now aim to live for God. And I want to say if that's you, that's wonderful. Uh, God has done what he has promised. He has qualified you for his son's kingdom and he's glad that you're his and you should be glad that you're his. Rejoice that you're his, that he has done such a marvellous thing for you and get on with living to please him. But it may be that you've just realised in just thinking through what is a Christian or that you already knew that you're not one. And I want to say to you, that's a very good realisation to come to because it means that you're now in a position to do something about it. It may be you're not you know, absolutely convinced yet, you've still got questions and doubts and that you need to wrestle with uh, about what I've been talking about. That's okay. As I said before, it's important to know that things are true before you commit yourself to believe them. But don't Use that as an excuse to put off investigating it. This is far too important to live on the back burner. We're talking about claims of eternal reality, that this is the king of the universe, that he's going to judge one day, uh, that there's life and peace with him forever in glory, and this is way too important just to dismiss. And in a few weeks' time, we're going to be launching a series of discussion groups about life and God in order to help you and others work through questions and figure out if God's offer can be really true. And you're welcome to be part of that uh, when that kicks off. Uh, And over the next few weeks in church, we're going to be committing ourselves to looking through the start of this letter and asking some of the really basic questions. We're going back to basics. So next week, who is Jesus? Is he really who he says? Can he really deliver on what he promises? Can he really fix things for us, between us and God? But it may be that you know that what I've said is right and that you know that there's an almighty problem between you and God, and you're very glad that you came here today because now you know there's a way you can find forgiveness and be qualified for heaven at somebody else's expense.
I want to give you an opportunity right now to do something about it. I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a second. It's a prayer that that acknowledges that uh, our state before God, that thanks him that he sent Jesus to die for us, and it's a prayer that asks God to forgive us and qualify us for his kingdom. Uh, Let me read it to you first, and then you can work out if this is a prayer for you or not. Dear God, I know that I'm a rebel against you. I've ignored you and gone my own way. I'm sorry. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place. Thank you that you paid to have me back. Forgive me and qualify me for your kingdom. Amen. Prayers are magical when you're asking God for something. So I'm going to pray that. You consider whether this is a prayer for you. And if it is, you might. is, I'm just going to do it phrase by phrase and you might want to echo it in the quietness of your own heart and mind. Just talk to God. All right. Dear God, I know that I'm a rebel against you. I've ignored you and I've gone my own way. I'm sorry. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place. Thank you that you have paid to have me back. Forgive me. And qualify me for your kingdom. Amen. If you prayed that today, I want to say, come and tell me about it. That would be really great to know because... Um, being part of God's kingdom, God's promise is sure. If you if you want that and you've asked God for that, it's yours. It's a great thing. But you're starting a new journey, a new life, and you know there's some other basic things. Keep coming along, and, and we'll work stuff out together. Uh, if you've prayed that and you prayed that many times throughout life, because it's a good thing to keep praying that uh, you know God keeps fulfilling His promise in us. So, you know, keep going as a Christian, live for Him. Um, but come, let's talk about it afterwards. Where are you at? Uh, if you, where are you with that checklist? What is a Christian? Do you know the information? Has it changed who you are? Have you got new priorities in life? Has God qualified you for his kingdom?